Good morning. Good to see you guys here today. I was really blessed when we were praying before the service um, by Rory's uh, exhortation that this is the day the Lord has made. You know, he's reminding us what the psalm says. And this is the year the Lord has made. This is the season the Lord has made. As tough as it is, our God's in control. Amen? And he's still good. Amen? Welcome to those of you who are watching online as well. We're really glad you could join us, whether it's right now live or later on. And we are going to continue our study in the Gospel of Luke. We're going through the whole Gospel of Luke. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 21 through verse 38. Luke chapter 2, we're going to go through verse 21 through 38. But what I want to do is start by reading just two verses. Specifically, I want to draw your attention to a couple phrases that kind of set the tone for us this morning. First, just to give a little bit of context, of course, this is um, Jesus is just still an infant at this point. Uh, Mary has just given birth to him as a virgin. And they're at a place where it's eight days later, they're going to have him... Uh, circumcised as per the Jewish law. Forty days after they've given birth, they're going to bring him to the temple to be, uh, to, for them to be purified, to, to bring the, the right offerings for that ceremonial purification. And when they get to the temple, they meet two characters. And I want to draw your attention to two things about these characters before we pray and get into the rest of the text. Verse 25 speaks of the first character, Simeon. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, and here's what I want you to notice, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Then if you drop down to verse 38, and what it says about the second character, Anna, and her ministry. And coming up that at that very hour, Anna began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word uh, is how you speak to us, Lord. We can recognize the Spirit's voice because of what your word says. And we pray, God, that you would speak to us afresh as we study your word this morning together. Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts of expectancy to hear from you and that our hearts would be as the Christmas carol goes, our hearts would make, prepare you womb to do the work that you want to do. Would you be welcome in our hearts? Please, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees says, amen. So that phrase, waiting for, that's used twice here in this text, that, that phrase is translated in different ways throughout the New Testament. Sometimes it's translated receive to be receiving something or someone more specifically. Sometimes it's, it's, it's translated looking for, like to look with anticipation, like I'm really looking forward to this thing, or really looking to that thing to take place. It's even, listen, it's even translated welcome. Because the idea of this phrase is not just kind of a passive waiting, like waiting for time to pass until something happens, you know, kind of just enduring this until what we really want comes to pass. It's the idea that you're looking out for something. You so want something or someone to come that you're looking for that. 
And, and, and the way it's used, the way Luke uses this in these two verses is this idea that they're looking for God's kingdom to come with God's king. That is the birth of Jesus Christ. And so really what they're wanting to do here, what we see happening here is as Jesus is brought onto the scene, as he's, in a sense, his parents are introducing him to the community, that they're welcoming him in to the community. And, and these two characters specifically, uh, uh, of, of Simeon and Anna, are welcoming him, him in as God's chosen king. Now, we've already seen in Luke's gospel how uh, uh, both, both uh, Joseph and Mary saw that this baby that was being, had been conceived supernaturally and would be born would be the king of the Jews. They recognized that. But even in, that, in their obedience, there's something about that that speaks of the welcoming of Jesus as king, the receiving of him as king. There's something about Joseph and Mary and Simeon and Anna and their actions that shows us what does it look like to receive Jesus, to welcome it into our lives. And that's what we're going to look at today. What does it mean to welcome the king? So picking up verse 21, it says, At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, that Jesus was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, now what Joseph and Mary are doing by having Jesus be circumcised on the eighth day is they're fulfilling the law of Moses. They're, doing, they're bringing forth that sign that showed that Jesus was part of God's covenant people. And, and God had commanded this act, this act of circumcising every male on the eighth day. He commanded this to show, to demonstrate that these people, his people, believed that he was, God was committed to them. It was the way they showed they were, that they, they believed that God was committed to them and they wanted to commit themselves to him. That's what the covenant was about. So then we see in verse 22, as I said, 40 days later, what happens when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens, the first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now again, Luke wants us to see that what they're doing here is according to the law of Moses. They're keeping the old covenant. They're, they're, they're honoring the covenant God has made with his people by bringing the sacrifice. Now what's interesting about this is this purification offering was meant to do something. It was the, What would happen, of course, there's a lot of blood involved in childbirth. Not to gross anybody out, but this is a reality. And, and when there was that blood, what, what, what was required by the, the Old Testament law was, okay, that there needs to be a time of cleansing. And so the woman needed to, to wait for 40 days before she could be ceremonially clean again. Now, part of this, of course, is probably protecting her from premature marital intimacy. There's probably some wisdom in that as well. But the, the, the issue here is that, that there's something about the birth of a child. The, the, the trauma of it, the difficulty of it, that is meant to point to the state of mankind, the brokenness of humanity. It's, most, it's supposed to remind us that there's something broken about us. That's why it's there. And so with this purification ritual, the, this is a way that, that, that God wanted his people, again, to identify with the covenant. But it's also a way that, that Luke wants us to see that God wants us to see Jesus identifying with humanity. That Jesus is this real human, this authentic human being. 
This is important for us. I know there's many people who would say Jesus was only a human being. He was only a, maybe a good teacher possibly. And we know as believers, we believe that he's God's only son, that he's divine. But it's also easy for us to be so sure and so can rightly convinced that Jesus is divine, that he's, the, he's God the son, he's the holy son of God, that we forget that he's completely human and that humanity is important for our salvation. That humanity speaks to what God wants to do for us and what God has done for us. But it's interesting because it says here that they were to off, they offered, uh, Joseph and Mary offered these birds as a sacrifice. Now, those were sacrifices that were kind of um, an optional sacrifice in this sense. That what the command was that they were to bring a lamb to be sacrificed. Unless, listen, they were so poor they couldn't afford a lamb. And so this shows that these people, Joseph and Mary, were quite, were quite poor. Now, this is probably before the wise men came and offered them some gifts that probably helped them make uh, that trip to Egypt and back that Matthew tells us about. But, but the point is, is that this is, again, Luke wanted us to see how Jesus is identifying with one of the symptoms of our human brokenness, which is poverty. Poverty is, is a consequence of our human brokenness. But also, it's the fact that they brought the sacrifice for him to be cleansed, or for, for Mary to be cleansed specifically, it reminds us that sinfulness is the very nature of our human brokenness. That there's something about us that needs to be not just kind of fixed, but cleansed. Needs to be washed away. That needs to happen. Now, this is important because... Part of God's covenant to his people was that, that, that he says, listen, in the old covenant, he says there's going to be a new covenant. There's going to be a covenant that doesn't just kind of cover over your sins temporarily until you sin again the next time and then have to bring another sacrifice to again cover over your sin. But God predicted in the, in, in the, uh, to the pro through prophet Ezekiel that he would do a, a, a new thing. There would be a new covenant. And we see Jesus ends up being the fulfillment of that new covenant. Listen to this. The scripture says, uh, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 26. This is when he establishes what we call communion or Lord's Supper. It says, and Jesus took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and he said, uh, and said, each of you drink from it. This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. You guys know that the word forgive literally means to send away? Again, this is not just God covering up the bad stuff we've done, or we trying to cover up our own bad stuff. This is God washing it away. How? In the blood of Jesus. This is what he does. See, Joseph and Mary, they, they, they're welcoming Jesus, in, in a sense, through honoring God's covenant according to God's covenant. Why? Because what God predicted in the Old Testament, he fulfills in the New. What God foreshadowed in the Old Testament, he fulfills in the New, through Jesus. We welcome God's King by recognizing that what he's provided through the King. This is what we do. Now, what happens next? Of course, as they do this, when they're, they're in the temple, it says in verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's just a fancy way to say the comfort that God brings when his Messiah comes, his king comes. And it says, notice, 
and the Holy Spirit was upon him. This is important. Luke wants us to notice this. Don't forget, too, the Gospel of Luke is volume one of a two-volume set, Luke and Acts. And so all the stuff we read in the book of Acts about the work of the Holy Spirit is connected to what we read about the work of Jesus in the, in, in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke wants us to see that this man, Simeon, comes on the scene, and he's a devoted man to God, and he is so, listen, by the power of God's Holy Spirit. So he says in verse, it says in verse 26, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, that is, God's chosen King, the Messiah. And so here we have a man who, and we're going to see through, through the words that God uh, shows him, to, has him speak uh, before, uh, over the child and to Mary, that this was a man who knew God's word. He knew what the scripture says. And because of that, listen, because of that, when God spoke to him something specific, like there's no scripture before this in Luke that says there's going to be a dude named Simeon that sees this Messiah before, uh, as a baby. But the Holy Spirit spoke this specific word to him, and he could recognize it was from God. Why? Because he knew the scriptures. This is an important principle for us. But the point is, is that it was the Holy Spirit who was empowering Simeon's devotion. And Luke wants us to see this. So what happens? Verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Oh, Lord, I can die. You said I'd see the Messiah, and now I've seen the Messiah. I'm ready to go. He says, verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. This is important. Because Simeon here knows that it's God who saves. God is the only Savior. He says that clearly in the book of Isaiah. And yet he sees Jesus as, listen, God's salvation. That God, is the, that, that God only saves through Jesus. This is what the scripture says. This is what, what Luke would record in Acts chapter 4. Listen, this is what Peter would say. There is salvation in no one else that is other than Jesus, and there is no other name that is other than Jesus under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the Savior, the only Savior. This is important for us to recognize. This is not being disrespectful to other religious beliefs or other philosophies or a lack of belief. It's not disrespectful. It's just reality. It's just the testimony of Scripture. Sometimes people struggle with this. They struggle with, well, how can, how can God be a God of love when he's so narrow, when he says there's only one way and it's Jesus? Well, it's because God's a God of love that he says there's only one way. Do you really think it could be any way? Could it be any way that we can get to God, that we can experience what God has for us or that we can know God? Any way it goes? Do we really believe that? No, none of us do. We all believe there has to be some line drawn somewhere, and God's made it so simple for us. The line is Jesus. He's the only Savior. Now, Simeon is rejoicing in this, that he sees Jesus, who is going to be the Savior, even as a child. That's what he's destined to do. So he goes on to say in verse 31, that you have prepared this salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, 
and for glory to your people Israel. In other words, when he, when he sees this, that Jesus is the Savior, he knows that Jesus was the Savior for all people. Not just for the Jews, but for all people, for the Gentiles and non-Jews as well. Now, I love this because what, what Simeon's saying is, is that salvation through Jesus is available through, for, uh, to anyone. Salvation is available to anyone, but it's identified through Israel. Again, God, Luke, one of the themes that we see in Luke is God wanting to identify, rightly identify, why Jesus is the Savior, why he is the Son of God, why we should follow him. Now, something else happens here, though. He, 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 as he says these words, it says in verse 33 that his, his father and his mother, that's Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about him. And this is not like, wow, we've never heard this before. It wasn't that kind of wonder or marveling. This was about them going, wow, God is really doing something here. This, this kid really is going to be the Messiah. He is going to be our Savior. But what happens? Verse 34, Simeon turns his attention to them. It says, and Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce your, through your soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, I want you to recognize a couple things here. What's going on is that, that Simeon is prophesying something about the Messiah, about what Jesus as God's chosen king would experience and about how, how what Jesus would experience would affect what Mary would experience. This is what he's prophesying. Now, I want you to, to, to notice the blessing was addressed to Mary, and this was a blessing. To bless somebody is to speak well of them. So he's not trying to, to slander Mary, nor is he trying to give some sort of bummer report. He's saying, listen, this, this is, there's, there's good here. But he is preparing her for the difficulty she's going to experience. She's blessed to bring, blessed among women, as we read earlier in Luke, to bring the Savior of the world into the world. What a blessing to be that kind of a vessel. Amazing. But she's also going to suffer. She's going to suffer in great ways. Why? Mainly because she's going to see Jesus suffer. She's going to see Jesus be rejected. It's interesting because li listen to the way he, what, what, again, what Simeon says about Jesus' ministry. Behold, this child is appointed for what? The fall and the rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. He says in verse, verse 35, so the thoughts uh, from many hearts may be revealed. In other words, Jesus is going to be this dividing line in history. It's not an accident, listen, it's not an accident that Simeon uses this phraseology of sword. A sword's going to pierce your heart, Mary. This is why, listen to what Jesus said about a sword in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, don't think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. That's what Jesus said. That's heavy, isn't it? This is not Jesus saying, giving people permission to be divisive, to try to divide families or divide communities. That's not what he's calling us to do. He's saying the reality is it's him that brings the division. 
He draws this line. From God's perspective, in God's economy, there are those who believe in Christ and those who don't. There are those who have surrendered to his kingship, his lordship in their lives, and those who haven't. Now again, remember, Simeon is saying this to Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, Mary, listen, this is what's going to happen. Now none of this is a big accident. All this is part of God's plan and purpose. But just as Mary would suffer because she would see her son suffer, she would struggle. Can you imagine the, the, being the mom of Jesus? Remember, Jesus' brothers, and even in some ways it seems like at times Mary doubted, but for sure Jesus' brothers didn't believe in Jesus. And so here she is with this testimony to say, he has to be the Messiah. The angel spoke to me. I conceived supernaturally. He has to be the Messiah. And they're like, yeah, whatever, mom. He's just nuts. Okay, he, maybe he's better at everything than everybody else, but he's still a bit nuts. They didn't believe in him until when? After the resurrection. What would that have done to Mary? Imagine Mary seeing Jesus beaten beyond recognition. To watch him crucified. How would she have felt? Why doesn't she stop it? Because she's been prepared for it. And she knows indeed Jesus is the Messiah. Imagine the remarks made to Mary about giving birth to a bastard son. About getting pregnant outside of wedlock. The accusations and the rumors. And the disdain that people looked at her with, especially as her son is arrested and crucified. Certainly a sword pierced her soul, and it was the sword that divides all people. Do you see Jesus as Savior, or do you not? Now, the reason I want to, to bring this up and make it clear, and to really point out how Jesus, or Simeon, is welcoming Jesus as King by the power of the Spirit, because it's the power of God's Spirit, and only by the power of God's Spirit, that we're able to not only make that decision, but also, listen, to endure that kind of sword. Many of you have already experienced some of that tension. That tension of you being a believer and others in your family not believing. The tension of maybe you going down a path that doesn't fit with your family's traditions. But you know this is what God's calling you to, to put your faith in Jesus. How are you going to do it? How are you going to endure? How are you going to walk that walk? Only by the power of the Holy Spirit. But this is why it's such great news. You know whom God gives his Holy Spirit to? To everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. Do you know how long we need the power of the Spirit to walk with Jesus? Our entire lives. We never outgrow the work of God's Holy Spirit. In fact, growing is us learning to depend more on God's Holy Spirit. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul has to kind of give a rebuke to these Christians in Galatia. He says, you received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why, have you now, uh, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human efforts? 
You know, one of the good things that's come out of this trial we call COVID, that we identify as COVID, one of the good things that's come out, it's, it's, it's exposed our human self-sufficiency. How we think we could live this life on our own. And I'm talking about us as believers in Jesus. It's amazing how us as believers in Jesus live like our lives are about us and to be done by us. They're not. The only reason we even believe in Jesus is because of the work of God's Holy Spirit. The only reason we came to faith is because of the work of God's Holy Spirit. The only reason we can have assurance that we belong to God and we're his children is because of the work of God's Holy Spirit. How are we going to make it the rest of the way? The work of God's Holy Spirit. Simeon welcomed the Savior, the King of the universe, by the power of the Spirit and said, I'm ready to go, Lord. We live the same way. We need to, like Simeon, welcome the work of Jesus in our life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what about Anna? Verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. And she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. Now, we know, all we know about Anna, we know here, we don't know what it means that she was a prophetess, except for we know that she prophesied. And we'll see her prophesying in a minute. But what we do know about Anna is that she was probably married, as, as was the tradition of that age, she's probably married as a teenager, 15, 16 years old maybe. And if she was married for seven years, which is the idea there, that she's married for seven years, that means she became a widow at around 22, 23. Think about that. Now, now the reason this is important for us to think about, because we, we do see in the text that she is an older woman. She's 84 years old, or even some believe that she could be a have been 106, like she was, in other words, like she was a, a widow for 84 years, not that she was an 84-year-old widow. Either way, she's, a, well, she's getting up there, okay? Either way. And what's really great about Anna, what I love about this, is that she uses her singleness to know God better, to see the glory of God and to show the glory of God. And this is so important for us today in the church because we see singleness as like a disease, we do, it's true. Like, oh man, I wish I wasn't single. God, heal me. Deliver me from my singleness. But that's not how the scripture looks at singleness. Now, don't get me wrong. Relationships are wonderful. Marriage is a great thing. Okay, I'm not downing on marriage. But singleness is a great thing. And, and I, what I really love too is that here she is, she's 22, it's Pretty, pretty young enough, it doesn't seem like, the text doesn't tell us if she had kids or not, we don't know. But it seems like she could have maybe got remarried, but she thinks, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just seek the Lord and see what God wants to do. And so she does, faithfully, for at least 62 years. Wow. That's amazing. What an example to all of us. Now, I love the fact that it says that she, the way it says here in the, in the English Standard Version is that she, she doesn't depart from the temple worshiping and with fastings day and night. This is what we call hyperbole. It's exaggeration for, to make a point. In other words, don't think she was awake for 24 hours a day for 62 years. That's not what's happening here. Or that she never ate for 62 years. That's not what's happening here, obviously. It's to say, man, she just never left that place. She just really wanted to be there. 
maybe part of her prophetic ministry was during the time of prayer when there'd be that kind of public prayer time and she'd be kind of in the court of, of, of women. She couldn't go, she could only go so far in the temple. As a woman in those days, she could only go so far. Unfortunately, that was the way God did it. Or the way people did it. And so they, she had that dynamic, but she's there. And when she's there, what does she do? God all speaks, but he's not going to speak. And God gives her things to say. Now, now here's what's amazing. When it says that she worships, some, some of your versions might say ministered. It's a word that means to specifically minister to God. This is why it's translated worship. But this is important because her prophetic ministry wasn't about trying to please people or impress people. Her prophetic ministry was about being a blessing to God. God, I just want to walk in obedience. I want to do what you want me to do. I just want to worship you. So it says she's, she's in a sense, ministering to God through prayer and fasting. She's saying, Lord, I'm doing this because I want to serve you and I want to know you better. That's what she's doing. Again, what a great example. And so it's as she's doing this, right, as, as her custom has been, she's been there, that what happens is it says in verse 38, and coming up at that very hour, in other words, the, the, the time where she sees Simeon's blessing the baby Jesus and giving this, this blessed word, really prophesying himself, to, to Mary about what she's going to experience. At that very hour, what happens? She comes up and she begins to give, she began to give thanks to God, it says, and to speak of him, that would be speak of Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. In other words, it wasn't just Simeon who's going, Lord, I can't wait for you to send your king. There were many people in that day who were saying, Lord, we can't wait to send your king. And so Anna goes, I've seen him. Let me tell you about him. I want to prophesy about this king. I'm going to give thanks to God for sending his king. In other words, her decades, decades of faithfulness culminated in this grateful prophetic praise. This is how she welcomed the king. Lord, we, we just continue to worship. Lord, you're worthy to be thanked and worshiped and glory to you. There's a great scripture that we most of us probably know, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, or maybe some of us memorize it in the, in the King James, the New King James, and everything, give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We, we remember that part, give thanks in all circumstances, or in everything, give thanks. We forget the second part, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Because without the in Christ Jesus, guess what? pretty tough to give thanks in all circumstances. If there's not a God who's pierced history and shown himself to be king of kings and lord of lords, has revealed himself to be that, how do we give thanks in all circumstances? It's pretty tough. Because the command is not give thanks about all circumstances. Not all circumstances are good. But to give thanks in all circumstances. To know that God will use even this for his glory and our good. God will do even this. This is how we welcome the king. So how do we respond to this? Here we see this, this reality of even Jesus as a babe. Luke wants us to see that God is trying to show him as the king of kings. And, and we see his, his parents introducing him in a way that honors God's covenant because Jesus fulfills the covenant. And we see uh, him welcomed by Simeon, by the power of the Spirit in the supernatural way. We, we, we see him welcomed by Anna, again by the Spirit, as, she, as she's just continuing this worshipful life. 
So, so what does this have to do with us? Well, let me ask you a question. How have you welcomed Jesus as king in your life? If you're watching this online, or you guys who are listening this morning, you're all here because you're at least interested in who Jesus is. Maybe you think he does have some wise things to teach, but have you welcomed him as king? When we talk about Jesus' first coming and we talk about Jesus' second coming, is that something that you love? Oh, it's so good that he came. It's so good that he's coming again. Or is it something that you fear? Something that you feel uncomfortable with? If you go, no, no, I do love it. I'm so glad that the Father sent the Son. I'm so glad that Jesus came as King of kings and Lord of lords. I do believe he died for my sins and rose from the dead. And I do think it's going to be better when he returns. How is that demonstrated in your life? What, is our, what do our lives demonstrate about that we welcome him, we want him in our lives? Do you see Jesus as proof of God's commitment to you? God wants a covenant with you, a commitment in love. Do you see Jesus as the proof of that? The evidence that God really loves you? He really wants that? Do you see that? If you see that, are you asking God to fill you with his Holy Spirit? Do you recognize it's only by God's Holy Spirit that you're going to be able to follow Jesus no matter what the cost of it? Do you see that? Are you actively saying, Lord, fill me afresh with your Spirit so by your Spirit I can follow Jesus, love people the way he loved people, follow you, Father, the way he followed you. Give me your Holy Spirit. Jesus said, hey, God's a good father, gives good gifts, and he will give the Holy Spirit to everyone who asks. That's what he said. Do you see Jesus as the reason you can be thankful even in days of COVID? And I've got to confess, I'm, I'm saying this as someone who struggles. I don't know, Alan, Lindsay, if you could pick this up when I came and said you know, a quick hello to you this morning, that I'm frustrated with COVID. I totally get why we need to be in tier four, but it's hard. I really miss my church family, seeing everybody. I miss bringing chairs, and not just for the food. I know what you're thinking. I miss bringing chairs. I miss seeing all the kids all the time. That was what was great about the Christmas tree, was seeing the kids. I miss it. It's hard. But thank you, God, you know what you're doing. You know what you need to purify out of our hearts. You know what you're, how, how you're needing to lead your church in the way it needs to go to be the best, most effective witness in this community as possible. You know. Do we see Jesus as the reason we can be thankful in any circumstance? The last line that's there on the screen. Jesus, you are God's chosen king, and I welcome you into blank. That's, a, that's a, a suggestion for a prayer. What would be the blank that you'd fill in there? How would you pray right now in your heart? How would you pray to him? Jesus, you are God's chosen king, and I welcome you into this marriage. Jesus, you are God's chosen king, and I welcome you into my state of singleness. Jesus, you are God's chosen king, 
and I welcome you into this grieving process over those that we've lost. Jesus, you are God's chosen king, and I welcome you into this work life that I'm experiencing. God, you are God's chosen king, and I welcome you into my finances. Jesus, you are God's chosen king, and I welcome you into our church life. We welcome you in. We need you to be king in our lives. We look, we're looking to you to reign. God bless you guys.